Good evening, good morning, whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening. This is the No Manga Podcast, a weekly show about all things skateboarding. And my name is Rick Beta. I appreciate you tuning in, you know, and for your continued support. You can follow along on social media at Rick Beta, that's R I C K B A T A, or email the show, nomangopodcast at gmail.com. So let's get started with something from the New Yorker. Of all places. Yeah, the New Yorker. That's right. They had a short documentary about Joe Buffalo called Surviving the Horror of Residential Schools by Skateboarding. Now, if you're familiar with residential schools, you already know and you can already tell that this one's going to be a tough one to get through with dry eyes. No human can do it. It's impossible. I'm telling you now. Okay. And even though we've heard Joe's story over the years or even the last few decades, I don't recall hearing... Like this much like firsthand experience of like, or actually more like the trauma, the, the big T trauma caused by his time in residential schools, you know, while growing up, you know, and check out this fact alone. There have been upwards of 1,000 unmarked graves at the sites of former resident, residential schools across Canada, 1,000 unmarked graves. And is there a connection? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that needs to be investigated, right? And I think Joe Buffalo is now ramping up his help for the cause with this with this documentary. And I can't even imagine what the numbers will be like for the U.S. or actually both when it's all said and done when they find all these unmarked graves. Scary, scary stuff. But it was cool to hear that you know on his mom's side, it dates all the way back to Chief Poundmaker, who he stated was you know a man of peace. You know, he was looked at as the holiest of holies. You know, he was born in 1842, died in 1886. So that was not a long life, you know, lived in his, what, 40s. And as he said, he was, he's, he is, he still is, he's very proud of his heritage. So he, he, he respects that. And I do have to say, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe like circle back now, go check it out and you can like come back after. And it's only about 15 minutes, you know, 15 minutes of time well spent. And a quick heads up, though, there were some like obvious reenactments, but they were done very well. It was it was it flowed with the story. It wasn't a distraction. So very good job on that. And it didn't really get it started to get really intense, actually, for me about about two and a half minutes in. This is when he told us that at age 11, you know, he was taken off the reserve and forced keyword forced into a residential school. And before he even got into the details and actually, let's say that even if you pretend not to know anything about the horror and straight genocide caused by like these red residential schools, just take a look at the image at 2 minutes and 47 seconds. Anyone in their right mind could look at that man, look at the, the, the kids, and know that nothing good is going down there. Nothing. Just look at his face. Look at his eyes. I'm like, no thanks. No, that's a hard pass for me. But as, you know, these kids... As Joe said, they didn't have a choice. They had to deal with these people. And either way, the truth about residential schools is out. And it's been a very hot topic for the, these past few years. And actually, yeah, past, what, six, seven years now. It's gaining some a lot of mainstream media attention. And I'd heard of them before, but never really looked into, like, what actually happened in these schools. Or better yet, prisons, if you want to say it correctly. Quoting Joe now. They were boarding schools set up by the government and run by the church to destroy my people. 
He also said, kill the Indian, save the child. Damn. Can you imagine having to say those last two sentences about your life? Or about someone you love? Someone else's life that you love? It's insane. And not only that, he only got to see his parents like once or twice a year. So I can't imagine that. We actually got to see one of the schools around three minutes in. And I was wondering, is that the actual school he was at? I think it might be. Just a look from the outside, it appeared to have like a scary vibe to it. You know, like something out of a, literally out of a horror movie. In fact, it was a true life horror movie for Joe and the other survivors and uh, the, the victims. The absolute horror. And then they showed us clips from the inside, and I kept thinking, why in the hell are these still around? They should all be leveled, all raised, gone. But then again, it's a place for you know the survivors to go and process and, and get over the fact that they were forced in these environments. So I get that too, but I know a lot of them are gone, but I, that's what the first thing I thought. I was like, why in the hell are these still around? I mean, Joe talked about... He could saying he could hear spirits in the walls from their dark history there. He he could feel it and hear it. And I can't imagine what it's like to walk the halls or just be inside one of those rooms knowing what all went down in them, right? It's just pure dark, evil energy. And he went in there and filmed for this. And I started tearing up right after he talked about having no one to run to for protection. And that He said, who's going to come protect you from these people when you call out, Mom, Dad? These poor kids had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. That just got me. I Literally, tears are flowing right after he said that. Who's going to protect you from these people when you call out for Mom and Dad? So as the story goes, you know, as soon as he was of age, he bailed out. He's like, peace out. I'm done. He, he was gone, but it truly messed him up, big time. But that's right when he started skating like a maniac, skating like the maniac he is today. And what's crazy is that even with all his talent, he never thought he was worthy of, being, like, worthy of turning pro and becoming pro. And that's clearly due to all the years of the re- at the residential school and being told that he was nothing and he was going to end up being nothing. And it took him a while to change his mindset. Well, it's taken his, him his whole life up to this point, up to this documentary, these past few years. But it wasn't an easy road. He battled drug and alcohol addiction, spent some time in jail, which he said made him even worse, overdosed three times, wrote numerous suicide letters. It was a rough, rough, rough last few decades for Joe. And as we've heard before. But he knows. He, he knows he is very lucky to be alive. Which makes his arc, you know, or story even more beautiful about, you know, his transformation. Joe found that there was like something like driving him from within. Just something, not just skateboarder related, you know. It's more of needing and wanting to turn his life around. And then also help out others as well. And I got chills, literal chills, seeing the inside of that church. And seeing him walking down the hall. It was about 8 minutes and 41 seconds. That was a powerful moment. Just like the strength needed to do that and walk through that, and then you're being filmed. That's hardcore. That's raw. But 
I'm sure it was needed for him as well to get that closure, to, to, to get to move past that time in his life. Not easy to do, but very, very strong of him to do. Very strong. And I don't think it took him too long to, to let out that scream about nine minutes and 19 seconds either. Nah. And those tears that came like shortly thereafter, they were real. They were raw. Real and raw as you could get. Probably didn't take him any effort to do that. That was pure raw emotion. And I could feel it. I could feel it through the screen. I could feel it through that mirror they was looking at too. He then got sober, gained a lot of confidence, you know, gained a ton of confidence, and in turn, finally turned pro. And has a pro model in honor of his great-grandfather. And I was thinking, like, we should all buy one of his boards. I mean, it's on my list. I'm going to buy one. I'm all about supporting this dude. Joe has been through hell and back. And like many before him, skateboarding saved his life. Skateboarding saved his life. Literally. And I'll never get tired of saying that about people. It just it serves as a nice reminder for how special we've got it, you know, how awesome of a community we have. And it's not a perfect one. Nothing's perfect, right? We're not a perfect community, but there have been some massive changes over the years in skateboarding. And I had to point that out. And we are moving, we're actually moving in the right direction. But it's not perfect. We've got a long ways to go, but it's moving in that right direction. And I know Joe mentioned that he wants to become the person he needed growing up, you know? And I say, check that box, dude. You did it. You've already done it. You've done that, Joe. Become the person he needed growing up. He's already helping people. He's already changing lives. Now he's just going to continue to grow, and then he's going to continue to see others do the same, and it's just going to keep going on and on the cycle. His change is already impacting people, and it's hard not to respect the hell out of that. And I know he didn't flat out say it in this documentary, but by Joe coming out and telling about telling us about his story, it's going to hopefully provide the courage for others to speak up too. Others that are so damaged that they probably don't leave the house or they're just they're much like Joe was, an alcoholic and just 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 abusing any drugs they can to just bleed it out of their head the, the memories and the visions that are on there. So hopefully it will do that. It'll provide the courage for others to speak up. And that's why I want to talk about it today as well. Because that is definitely needed. I mean, he's not alone. And although there, there have been some survivors telling their story over the years, there's been a small, small amount. I'm sure it's not even a blip on a map of the amount of people traumatized from these residential schools. It's all about survivors helping out other survivors, which have been listed to be at least 80,000 or more. 80,000 survivors. We're not counting the unmarked graves. 80,000 survivors. And it's only barely scratching the surface. So that's what's scary. Very, very scary. But it is going to be very interesting to see how this documentary helps the cause. You know, like I said, it's from The New Yorker. The New Yorker is pretty well known, has a lot of readers. I'm glad it, there was no paywall for this. It definitely got my attention, and it's now on my radar. But... For the survivors, though, I'm sure it's it's something it serves as a reminder, or maybe they're not haven't processed yet, but it's something that they can possibly forgive and it can be forgiven, but it will never be forgotten. So it's very cool that Joe is brave enough to do this documentary. So your courage to speak up did not go unnoticed, Joe. So well done, man. 
Great job to Amar Chabib. I hope I said that right on directing and editing this piece. Tony Hawk even had an EP uh, credit to it. So yeah, he executive produced it, produced it. So shout out to Tony. Very well done, you guys. So, oh, and a quick side note. Don't let all the, like the overall story behind this distract you from all the awesome skating in this too. There's some damn good skating in here as well. So I had to point that out. It's all not just, you know, the, his, his dramatic past and traumatic past. There's some good skating in there, too, because he kills it on a board. You know, because we all know Joe is a madman on four wheels and well-deserved. He it deserved that pro model so many years ago, but now it's even he appreciates it more, which is makes it even more, you know, it, it's, it's icing on the cake. So always entertaining to watch, of course, Joe. So let me know your thoughts. Next up, I want to talk a little bit about what I'm calling the Huberman effect. That's right. You heard me geek out when Carl Watson sat down with Andrew Huberman and also heard me talk about after he sat down with the Nine Club dudes. And then, sure enough, this got the Huberman effect into effect. Did I say that right? I mean, you guys, you know where I'm going with that. John Gardner, another skateboarder I respect on and off the board, recently did a video for Jankum. Which, as he said, was inspired, of course, by Carl and Andrew's chat. And he called it John Gardner's Tips for Building Up Your Mental Health. Much like he prefaces this video by saying he is not a mental health professional and rather just someone who's very passionate about it. Very much like myself. Very much like myself. That's why I'm not a professional, but I'm very passionate about it as well. So I, I just, you know, you probably saw this and go, like, oh, of course Rick's going to talk about that. Of course. So John gave us like an. It's a nice short list of things that have worked for him. You know, as we all know, everyone's different. I think Andrew even says, too, like, it, it may not work for you. And you try different things. Try many different avenues to help with this anxiety and stress and all that. So in just being nervous or whatnot. But here they are in case you don't feel like watching this awesome three-minute and 51-second video, which I, I question that. But here's what he had to say. His first one, he said, just pause. You know, try and feel and seek the message. So, like, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? You know, try and find the reason behind that. And if you can kind of narrow it down, you know, even if you write it down, like, I am angry because, I'm sad because, I'm anxious because, sometimes writing it down helps for me. So, I like that. Just try and seek the message of, like, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? So, just pause. Every feeling is temporary. This one definitely caught my attention, but it got me, it reminded me of a, a phrase called, a phrase called be the mountain. And I read or listened to an audio, I think maybe it was an audiobook recently, when the writer was telling us to be like a mountain, you know, weather, clouds, rain, wind, they all come and go, right? They, they pass over and through clouds. I mean, well, not through, but over clouds. They hit clouds in the face and they roll over. And just like John said about feelings, it's it, they, every feeling is temporary. So if we can just be like a mountain, maybe observe, just ride out the storm, and it'll only be a matter of time until maybe the sun comes out or you'll have a better day. So I just wanted to add that. I'm like, I totally agree with, with John. It's like every feeling is temporary. And this this has worked for me. So I'm kind of piling on with what John is saying. Try it out. See if it works for you. Breathe. Oh, let me breathe real quick. 
I have literally been working on this for decades. And I've been on record on this podcast stating that I used to have, I should still do it. I used to have to write down the word breathe on a post-it note as well. When I'm at work, say I'm having a stressful day or I got a lot of things going on. Only because I could literally sit and work or do whatever and not realize I'm holding my breath for like a long time. <laughs> and this in turn, in turn increased my anxiety and eventually led to a panic attack. Breathing is huge. So I'm glad he mentioned that. It's key. You know, Andrew talked about it too. You know, we, the, the different breathing techniques. And it's something that we do automatically, but also we can alter it. And when we become, you know, become aware of it, so we can change it too. It's like a trip. It's like we do it automatically. We don't have to think about it. But when we do focus on it, it really does change your breathing. You're panting or you're taking in deep breaths and exhaling much longer. So I totally agree with that too. He also said, when in doubt, zoom out. You know, just talking about stress from looking at your phone. You know, be kind always, you know, online, this and stuff, you know, this and that, you know, offer help. And I, I like this too because. I don't know. It just the last couple of years, and maybe it's yeah, just the tumultuous landscape of Facebook, you know, with your friends and family, and and, and you seeing their true colors. And I've just been slowly backing away from social media. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not like not something I need to need in my life right now. You know, if it's just negative, boom, peace out. I zoom out, as he said. When in doubt, zoom out. Just take a break and just you know scale back. And I, I like that. I like the way he said that. Another great one, be gentle with yourself. We are, well, okay. I am so hard on myself, and I'm sure you're nodding. Go, yeah, you know what? I am too. A lot of us are, right? Fully agree. And I've, I've been much better on myself these past three years. And yes, I know exactly how many years it's been. It's 2018 is when I started, I don't know. It, it, it just, I was done. I, I was done being in the situation I was, the job that I kind of hated. I was miserable. I just really took a look I mean call it a midlife crisis if you have to but it wasn't I didn't go extreme but it was 2018 is when I really started to transform you know my just my brain my mind from just being constantly negative although I I still get that way today I still get anxious all this stuff it's still but I'm getting better at handling it so it's I'm glad that he mentioned that you know it's be gentle on yourself be be gentle with yourself cuz you know you're you're your you could be your Worst critic, but your your best friend and getting pumped up as well from all from your your mind yourself. So speaking of mind, though, so he said strengthen your mind, and he mentioned meditation, and this works for me too. Three years ago, three years ago, I started doing it, and it's been a game changer. My anxiety is much much less from just these past three years is insane, and it, you know I I just felt that I never had the time for that. It was lame, you know. But I just do it at night right before bed, and it's game changer i wish i'd started it 20 years ago so those are the the main the key main things he mentioned but he also gave us a teaser for his it's called the deep rest zine which is going to be available soon i was hoping to see like a link or something i could plug but all i got to say is go ahead and put me down for a copy or three john i'm in sounds amazing i am going to hype it up i'll let you guys know when and if i do see that is available he said it's going to be available in shops so it's probably you probably get in shops as well but deep rest zine yes sign me up but all i gotta say is 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 look how cool this huberman effect is i mean we've it's been brought up but it's getting 
brought up more now. The the mental health issues that we, that we all have, not just skateboarders, getting brought up more, and I love it. So I'm glad John did that. Great video. And what do you know from Jankum? Yeah, they never put out quality content. You hear me complain about them all the time. I'm like, why are they even a site? Why do they even try? You know I love you, Jankum. And, and once again, once again, you did it. You got me talking about your your, uh, your guys' products, your articles, your videos, all of it. I'm all for it. Thank you. And finally, for this segment, I really do need you to pull up. Pull out your phone, your laptop. Pull up IG. If you don't have Instagram, uh, I guess you'll just have to imagine. Or maybe you've already seen it. Or if you're on Twitter, although it's it's not officially on their Twitter page. But Thrasher Magazine posted what's going to be December 2021's cover. And Tristan Funkhauser, a.k.a. T-Funk, is seen in an ollie position. And I'd say about... See, I'm looking at it now. If you guys are looking at it, you're playing along at home. It's about, what, 18 inches or so above the lip. And about a third of the way over, yeah, about a third of the way over a bench at the now ill-fated China Bank spot. Okay, paint the picture. Okay, he's in an ollie, front side, about 18 inches above the, the top lip, and about a third of the way into his flight. Okay, and I kept saying, okay, that's that's an ollie position at that moment in time, I should say. But is it an ollie? And as per Mike Munzenreiter, quote, based on my research, this is not possible. I'm reading his tweet right here. I have to agree 100%. In fact, I agree, I agree 101%. Right? I mean, there's no way in hell that is just an ollie. It's impossible. Impossible. I was just staring at it right now. He would have to be going so damn fast. No, there's no way. He'd have to be much higher, too. No, that's not just an ollie. I say he's either going to, it looks like he's going to maybe lip slide. Or is he going to land, like, in the top part of that transition or that bank and then manual out or something, you know? It's just because this snapshot, this moment in time is such a crazy, like, or I should say interesting choice for me. It's not crazy because it looks great. But I I questioned him. I'm like, okay, what? Why? I mean, this is a cover of a magazine. So it's got us, it's got me thinking. I'm, I'm in, I'm so intrigued, dude. I'm like, okay, but it can't just be an all, right? Because you don't want to know the key, the one key takeaway. And as I'm zooming in right here, look at his eyes. This is how I knew right away. His eyes. He's not looking ahead for his landing. He's got his eyes on the lip. So he's got his, he's got a lip slide in. Yeah. He's got a lip slide in, in motion. Because then you look at his back foot. It's going to be pushing that board out. Or that the, the tail, like as he comes down. The front foot. Yeah, obviously that's guiding it. There's no way that's an ollie though. But then again, how do we know? I don't know. The alternate angle looks like insane if you're looking at Mike Munzenreiser's tweet. Yeah, the 
But even then, if you look at the alternate angle, he's about halfway. No, there's no way he cleared that whole thing. It can't be an ollie. Can't. Deep fake, fatty to flatty, Joe Hamill. Yeah, you know what? That's, yeah. My brain isn't even comprehending this. Need to see the skate footage badly. T-Funk is a very good skateboarder. And that was from Jamie. Yeah, see, I mean, just, I don't know. Now this guy says, to the top, bro. Keith, yeah, I, I agree. So, there's no way that's an ollie. So, yeah, we need to see the footage, like, right away. My guess is ollie onto the bench, then Wally pop back into bank, bench over to flat. Question, or, like, shrug. Yeah, see, the 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 thoughts, the, the takes on Mike's uh, tweet there are interesting. Because, yeah, it can't be an ollie. I'm just, I'm just want to be on record saying that. And if I'm wrong, I don't know. What do you guys think? Is that an ollie or is that a lip slide or is he going to land in the transition in the bank and just do a manual out or something? Or I, I don't know. What the hell? What the hell is he? What the hell do you think he's doing? Because I, I can't 100% decide. I'm leaning towards lip slide. Let me know. So that's all I got for this week. Thanks for tuning in. As usual, I appreciate all your support. You know, leave a feedback if you guys are digging the show that is coming into your ears. It really does help, you know, get new listeners and, it, you know, the, the, conquer the algorithm, as we, we uh, say here in the podcast world, because it really does help and it's free. So thanks. I'll talk to you guys next Wednesday. Peace. Peace.